I want to uh, just acknowledge how wonderful everything looks uh, and, and really say thank you, Sophie and Mike and Benoit and Trudy, and if there's anybody else that I'm missing, I'm so sorry, but they, they really did a great job, and let me just say thank you for, yes, absolutely. Um, I, decorating and making things look nice is just one of those things that I'm like, oh, thank God for diversity in the church, because if it were up to me, it would all be white on black. That's it, just so. Uh, I, I so appreciate uh, people that have that gift of creativity and reflect God's character uh, in that way to us. Um, this morning, what I hope to do uh, is transition from Hebrews into our season of Advent. We'll be wrapping up our study of Hebrews. Uh, this is now, I believe, 13 weeks uh, that we've been doing Hebrews, and we're going to uh, finish up today and kind of look towards uh, this Advent season, and in particular talking about hope uh, this morning as we look at how God's faithfulness produces our hope. And so turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13, and we will read it in its entirety. Um, I'm reading from the ESV. You're welcome to, to uh, uh, follow along with me or just listen. Um, and uh, so this is Hebrews chapter 13, uh, and we'll start in verse 1 here. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, 
for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. (laughs) You, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with you all. This is God's word. God, I thank you so much for the gift of your word, for revealing yourself to us, your character, your great attributes, your love, your plan, your mission to redeem us to yourself through your son, Jesus. I pray that we would reflect on that this morning, that we would grow, not just in our knowledge, but also in our compassion and our empathy, that what we do the rest of the week would change, that we would become more like Christ, that it would be noticeable, that our love and grace and compassion towards others would spill out and be evident, and it would show the world who you are. We pray it all for your glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Tomorrow uh, marks exactly uh, six months since I first uh, began here in June. Uh, been preaching steadily for the first time in my life almost every single week. And one of the things about doing uh, preaching every single week that I really kind of love is when I don't get to something, I'm like, ah, that's all right, we'll save it for next week, or I'll fit that in another time. Uh, in fact, I brought both of my notebooks, um, my, my notepads. I have a two-notepad system. Uh, I don't know if anyone has seen this before, but I usually preach from the yellow. That's kind of neat and orderly and organized. But I start with my blue notebook, and you can see I kind of, you know, there's things that are all scribbled out, and I take notes, and I'm going to use that. No, I'm not going to use that. That didn't fit this week. Uh, we'll squeeze that in another week. And I, I have to kind of, the first time that I, I read through Hebrews 13, it made me think, is that what's going on here? The, the author is coming to the end of his sermon, if you like, and just going, oh, what did I miss? Okay, let's, let's throw that in. Oh, I didn't say that. I had wanted to mention that. Let's get everything in here. Uh, it, it almost feels like there's this um, last chance to, to say all of the things that he wanted to say to these people that were clearly dear and beloved to him. Um, if, you've ever, if you have ever sent a child off to camp, Uh, You know you have a very narrow window of time uh, before they go off for a week. They're so excited to to give them those last few instructions before they're gone. And it's like, hey, remember to hang your towel up. Be kind to everybody. Do not share underwear. No, don't go in the... All right, bye. Have a good week. (laughs) It feels kind of like that a little bit right at the end of Hebrews. It feels just very disjointed and, oh, and this and this and this and all these little things... But as I look and read a little more carefully, I begin to see this pattern, this connection point through all of the pieces of practical advice and wisdom and instruction in this last chapter of Hebrews. And there is a pattern that speaks of God's faithfulness. 
And this idea here that God's faithfulness produces in us hope, that is what I want to really look at and reflect on this morning. That there is a running theme here of God's faithfulness. You know, we've been talking the last few weeks in Hebrews, uh, towards the end of Hebrews, which gets very practical. It is the so what portion of, of the author's sermon, um, where you know, he, he or she is, is talking about uh, the practical things that we should do in order to live like heaven now, in order to live as though we are already reunited in intimacy perfectly with God. And the point is this, what we do, our behavior, the things that we do and say ought to reflect the character of the God that we serve. Namely, we serve a faithful God. We have a God who is faithful, who is who he says he is and does what he promises he would. That is the God that we serve and the way that we live, the things that we do in our daily lives, in our work, in our family, in our communities, in our neighborhood, in our parenting, in everything that we do, it should tell the world something about the kind of God that we are serving. And as I read through Hebrews 13, we see a picture of a faithful God. A God whose faithfulness produces in us great hope. And in fact, that's why the author kind of intersperses, peppers these instructions with truth about who God is and who Jesus is. Look at verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's quoting there from Joshua. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? There he's quoting from Psalm. He's, he's saying, hey, this is who God is. He is faithful. Therefore, we should be living like this. How about verse 8? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And in this, especially here in verse 8, what the author is doing is a direct rebuttal against what the audience would be tempted to be do, to, to do uh, by this group called the Judaizers that are saying, what is with this newfangled religion? Why are you departing from your traditional faith? What's with this Jesus guy? Forget him. Come on back to the traditional Jewish faith. Come on back to the old covenant, the old ways, our old religion, the way that we've always done things. You mess with this Jesus, what's next? I mean, it's one thing, it's just a slippery slope. You're going to get carried away with all sorts of things. And the author is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus has not changed and will not change. God's character has not changed and will not change. God is faithful. And we need to be faithful to him in order to truly experience God and worship him well. And so we see God's faithfulness all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the stories that the author has been showing, that God is faithful. Um, I, we've been reading through the Chronicles of Narnia with our uh, older two sons. And uh, if you're not familiar, so we just started the sixth book in the series, if you're not familiar with them, the, the central character is this lion named Aslan who represents Jesus. 
And uh, we were reading, we just started book six, and towards the end of the chapter, uh, there's this creature, and you're not quite sure what's going on, and they're just on the edge of their seats. And, and it ends with uh, the character looking over and noticing that it's a lion. And my, my sons go, oh, yes, oh, it's, it's Aslan, it's him. And one of my sons said, oh, I knew it, he always shows up. Isn't that true about God? He always shows up. Whatever is happening, whatever part of the story that we're in, we can trust he's going to show up because God is faithful and God's faithfulness produces our hope. So let's look more closely at this list of things that the author is leaving as the sort of final departing instructions for the audience. First, let brotherly love continue. In the same way that God loves us unconditionally, you ought to be loving towards one another in that same unconditional way. Show hospitality to strangers. Look, this doesn't make any sense if you don't believe in a God who is faithful, who is preparing for us a better world where all things are going to be made right. There is no reason that God should show love and mercy and compassion and even generosity and hospitality towards us, and yet he does. So we ought to do that with others too. We too ought to show this same hospitality toward strangers. Remember those who are in prison as if you, were self, you yourself were also in prison with them. This paints a picture of people that have been put in jail because of their faith. These are people that are in prison because they are followers of Jesus. And if you go and visit them, these followers of Jesus in prison, it's kind of telling the world, hey, you're one of those guys too. It's a risky thing. It's risky business to go and visit people in prison when they've been put there because of their faith. You risk that same fate for yourself. And yet, if we serve a faithful God who will never leave us, who will never forsake us, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we too ought to show that kind of steadfast faith towards our brothers and sisters, towards proclaiming our faith and what we believe. Respect marriage and respect the marriage bed. This idea of don't neglect to, to hold marriage in high esteem. And what you have to understand is this is written at a time where in the prevailing culture, Women were not seen as people. They were seen as a tool. They were seen as a, an extension of my wealth. And if I have a wife, it's, it's to show the world how wealthy I am. And by the way, this, this idea of sex, oh, well, I mean, men couldn't reasonably be expected to limit my sexual appetite to just this one woman. Come on. That's outrageous. That's silly. And yet what the author is doing is saying, listen, marriage is meant to be a picture of the way that God loves us. God is faithful to us. God will not abandon us. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in your relationships, in your marriage, that should show the world something. This idea of marriage being something that is kind of a, a loose you know, maybe a social contract, it's a legal thing, it's a government thing, and when it doesn't quite work out for either of us, no big deal, we'll part ways. I want to stay married so long as it's beneficial to me, I'm getting something out of it. 
Well, that's not how marriage works. Marriage is one of those things that says, I'm with you no matter what. It's a commitment that says, no matter what we go through, I am committed to loving you because it reflects the character of a God who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Whatever the world thinks of marriage and sex, we are called to live in a way to say, this reflects the character of the God that I serve. And my God is faithful. Our marriage and our, our view of sex ought to reflect God's faithfulness towards us. Stay free from the love of money. This idea, and listen, folks, like, this might be rubbing some people the wrong way, but there's nothing wrong with having money right up until we start worshiping it, right up until we idolize it, right up until I find my security in my bank account or my pension or my wallet instead of where it lies truly as the, for the believer in Christ. What is your security in? Are you amassing wealth because that's where you find security? If you have a God who is faithful, if you have a God who has promised to never leave you or forsake you, the way that you handle and treat money, the way that you are generous towards others should reflect that. I've been doing some uh, premarital counseling with, uh, with a couple and recently we were talking about finances and we looked at this verse in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy where we said, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. No, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Whatever you have, whatever security you have, your home, your car, your pantry, whatever it is, do you think that's because of your guile and your hard work and your cleverness? No, it's because God has been faithful in providing for you. God has taken care of us. And the author is challenging the audience, where's your security? Where are you finding comfort? Is it in your own hard work? Is it in your own planning ahead? Or do you recognize ultimately, my security, my comfort comes in God because he is faithful. He has said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And I believe in a God who is who he says he is and does what he promised he would. Imitate faith, the faith of your leaders. This first part here in, uh, in verse 7, he's specifically talking about leaders that, that were in the past, that have come, who maybe first shared the gospel with the audience and, and talked about how um, you should look at their example imitate their faith look at the way that they live and hold fast to that example even though they're not here anymore we can still remember their example why because we can reflect the faithfulness of God in the way that we are faithful to obeying don't be led astray by strange teaching are you easily swayed are you easily convinced by some new fad, by some new thing, when somebody says something and, and they're real silver-tongued and eloquent and you go, you know what, maybe that is the way to do it. Or are we holding steadfast? Are we always, always, always coming back to the source of truth, to God himself, to the teachings of Jesus and saying, that's where I'm starting and ending. That is where I'm gonna judge all teaching. 
Am I remaining faithful to the doctrine he has given to us? Why? Because God is faithful. Obey and submit to your leaders. I got to tell you, I have heard so many people use and abuse a verse like this in order to bolster their own platform and their own power. We see from the context, they are clearly talking about spiritual leaders, someone who is teaching and guiding and directing. And I got to tell you, it makes me very uncomfortable because I have lived in a world with so many church leaders that are narcissistic and egomaniacs and, and they use verses like this in a way to consolidate their power and incur blind obedience. No, what we are meant to do is humble ourselves enough to follow the teaching of others. Maybe it's me, maybe it's somebody else, always, always, always judging against the doctrine and the teaching that we find in Scripture. Are we remaining faithful to those that are pouring into us, those that are discipling us, in such a way that it reflects the character of the God we serve? A God who is faithful, who said, I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And finally, in praying, remembering to pray for those that are in prison, for leaders, for those that are far away. Praying is an ultimate act of faith. It is asking for God to do something that we cannot see and maybe don't even ever see. And yet when we pray in faith, it reflects the character of the God that we serve because God's faithfulness produces our hope. Now, all of these commands wind up being a little bit countercultural. All of these commands to the people at that time in that place are meant to say, you need to look a little bit different than the world around you. You need to look a little bit different than this sort of uh, polytheistic, Roman, pleasure-seeking culture that you are living in. Because if, if their character reflects the gods that they are serving, your character ought to reflect the God that you are serving. One who is faithful and just, kind, compassionate, abounding in steadfast love and graciousness and patience. That's how you ought to live. And as we think about the way that God has called us to live, it will sometimes quite necessarily be countercultural. It will, on occasion, make those that are outside of our community of faith or maybe those that are so enculturated in their tradition, it'll make them scratch their heads a little bit. It'll make them go, why on earth would you do that? Why would you act that way? That doesn't make any sense. And by the way, this list, none of these things make a lick of sense unless you believe in a God who is who he says he is and who will do what he has promised that he will do. None of this makes any sense if you do not understand that God is faithful. But when we recognize that God is faithful, when we recognize that he promised he would send his, his son, his Messiah, to save us and make us right with him, and then he did it, that changes everything. It changes our whole perspective. It makes it so that we have hope in something better coming, in a promise that God has made, and we know he's going to keep it. Why? Because he did it before, and he's going to do it again. Amen. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. 
He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's faithfulness produces our hope. And as we look at chapter 13, even in the broader context of the whole book of Hebrews, there is this repeated exhortation. We see this in some kind of hard and confusing verses in like 10 through 15, where he's appealing to leaving a religious tradition. The author is appealing to this people who are tempted to go back to their old covenant, old Jewish religious traditional ways and forsake Jesus. And he's saying, whatever you do, don't do that. In fact, he, and he uses this analogy of the true atonement happening outside the camp before being brought in. The, the idea is not in any of this law or any of this tradition or any of these sort of religious rote practices. It is only because of God. It is only because of encountering God that we're made right. And it's Jesus that does that. And Jesus comes to us in a way that's kind of unexpected and outside and even above our religious traditional expectations. And that's where we ought to go. That's where we ought to be following him. We're coming to God through Jesus. We're encountering God through Jesus. We're experiencing intimacy with our Father, our Creator, through Jesus, not through our religious tradition, not through these sort of traditional religios you know, re religiosity or whatever practices. Jesus is better than anyone or anything we could ever possibly worship. When you look at what we are doing as we look at Jesus, as we look at this new covenant that he ushers in and the hope that he brings, especially at Christmas time, we should go, woohoo, Jesus is better. He is better than anyone or anything that we could ever possibly worship. And sometimes following Jesus means departing from our religious tradition. Sometimes it means saying, you know what, I've gotten too focused on the here and the now, and I've developed this sort of cultural insulation that's taken my eyes off of Jesus. And sometimes we need to go and meet him outside the camp. Sometimes we need to go and break from our, our expectations and our religious tradition. And this song that we've been singing all throughout, and I think it's a favorite here, shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Your way is better. Jesus is better. And sometimes that means breaking with our religious expectations. Sometimes it means looking to Jesus to lead us in a place that is uncomfortable, uncharted, unmarked, unexpected. And there's a lot of discomfort in doing that. It takes a lot of, in a word, faith to do that. But we can do that because God is faithful. And we can step out in faith and we can trust that God's faithfulness produces our hope. And if God has been faithful, I will be faithful in following him wherever it leads me and whatever it takes. And the way that we act, the way that we obey, the way that we go through life should tell the world something about what we value and the character of the God that we serve. Look at verse 16. 
Don't neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. He doesn't say for such practices have been commanded. (laughs) For such practices are the way that we've always done things. For such practices are what it says in Leviticus chapter 16. Go there now. It's look at what's pleasing to God. That is our goal. Not what we've always done. And when we live this way, when we are mindful of God's faithfulness and elevating our perspective to focus on the day that Christ will return as he promised, what that is, that's hope. Because this season, we're looking back and remembering that God for centuries promised that he would send a Messiah, a rescuer, to atone our sins, to bring us to God, to make us right before him. And then he did it. He did what he promised. And so throughout Advent, as we look back, we're also looking forward. We're also looking and and examining the promises that Jesus made. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I go to prepare a place for you. I am coming back. And we have hope when we read these verses and when we we internalize these truths. We trust that it is true. We believe we have a God who is who he says he is and will do what he said he would. Why? Because he did it before and he's doing it again. His faith produces our hope because God is faithful. Well, so what? If you're new with us, Every week, I have this so what portion, because as we read and as we look at truth, sometimes written very, very, very long ago, we can ask ourselves, what does that have to do with us? Because we believe that God's word is more than just good information. It is good news, and it should transform us. It should change the way that we act. And if we go through and we just have a transference of information, folks, we're wasting our time. And what we do here on Sunday mornings or whenever you meet in your life group or whenever you sit down and you do your your personal Bible study or devotion, if it stops there and it doesn't change the way that you interact with your neighbors or your classmates or your students or your employees, or your husband, or your wife, or your parents, or your kids, or your uh, co-workers, or whatever, then we're wasting our time. And so we ask this question, so what? So what do we do? And I want to ask this kind of diagnostic question. Is my behavior reflecting the character of the God that I worship? Is the hope that I have obvious to those that are around me is the fact that I serve a God who became man who showed us compassion and kindness and hope died and then rose again conquered sin and death do I live like it would other people in my life recognize it When other people are given a description of God or of the works of Jesus or the character of those that follow him, would they go, hey, I know someone like that. Would your name come up? 
When I look at this list, am I called to say the way that I show kindness and hospitality to strangers ought to tell the world something about the God that I serve? Is the way that I look at and value marriage or sex telling the world something about a God who is faithful to us? Is the way that I use and be a good steward with my money and my finances, does that tell the world something that I have a hope greater than anything that my pension or my savings account or whatever it is can give me here on earth? Do I submit to discipleship and leadership from others in a way that makes my neighbors and friends and coworkers and extended family go, yeah, that's weird. What's that about? That's different. I want to know more. Because that's the thing. God's faithfulness produces our hope. And then it draws others in too. They see the hope that we have. And they say, There's some, I, I want that. And that is one of the best parts about this Christmas and Advent season is getting to share this hope. I was, I was, uh, we pray before uh, the service and I was telling everyone, I love Advent and I love Christmas. It's one of the few times in the year that we can hear theologically rich, robust songs playing in supermarkets and on the radio and in the town square. We hear them saying things like, glory in the highest, glory to God. Oh, come let us adore him. You ever wonder if people think, who are they talking about? Who's the him? <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> That's the wonderful part of the Advent season. This hope that we have gets, gets lived out and we can share it with people and say, you know the hope that I have? Guess what? You can have it too. And I, there's one last thing as we kind of close the book on Hebrews. As we wrap up our study of Hebrews and this whole bigger picture of Jesus is better, of really looking to and focusing on Jesus, I think generally of, of the author's exhortation to cling to Jesus, but I also think more specifically here in chapter 13 of this exhortation to find Jesus outside the camp. And I think about those who have maybe wrestled with their faith. I think about people who have gone through hard times, maybe not unlike the audience of this letter to the Hebrews. People that have said, is this faith, is this Jesus guy even really worth it? And maybe it is that that doubt or that struggle or that tension in your life has been produced by the church itself. And I have to recognize that sometimes our religious tradition becomes more about perpetuating our cultural, uh, you know, insular tradition and religion than it is about truly looking to Jesus and following him no matter where it leads and no matter what it costs. And I recognize that trying to address a room full of people in church regarding those that haven't been to church is a little bit counterintuitive. But I also know that we stream these. I also know that there are a lot of people who, especially this time of year, are searching, are wondering, 
are maybe finding their way back to church. And maybe I want to address those right now that aren't in the room. Maybe someone has recommended this to you. Maybe a member of our church family has forwarded this to you, and you've seen this on YouTube. And maybe you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you've had an experience that said, I don't want anything to do with those people. Maybe it's even made you question the kind of God that you thought you served. Because the character that you have seen isn't reflective of the character that you read about. Maybe you've been turned off by religiosity and tradition. Let me here and now exhort you, plead with you even, and do what the author of Hebrews is doing to his audience, to say whatever you do, wherever you go, in church or not, outside the camp, outside of the community, whatever you do, cling to Jesus. Whatever you have gone through in your life, know this, God has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. And if you have gone through a period where you are wondering and you're doubting and you're not even sure that God exists and you're wondering what are the steps that it takes to get back, he has never left. There is no 10-step program to work your way back. There is no payment plan to climb the ladder back into your good graces with Jesus. He is here with open arms saying, I'm never going to leave you. I will never forsake you. I am here. I am faithful. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whatever you do, come to Jesus and cling to Jesus. And I have no expectation that we'll see you in service next week. I am not saying you should come and help us build our brand here. I am saying whatever you do, don't neglect Jesus. Jesus is better than anyone or anything that we could ever possibly worship. And that truth produces hope in us. And there is hope for you. There is hope for all of us. There is hope because of Jesus and a God who is who he says he is and does what he said he would. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for all the ways that you have been faithful to us. We thank you that you didn't just pop up one day and leave us wondering what your plan was. You told us. You sent your word. You sent prophets. You sent priests. You sent kings. You gave us centuries of history that told us who you are and what you were promising to do, and then, God, you did it. God, we thank you for the hope that we have as we celebrate the coming of the Messiah, as we celebrate a little baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago and how and why that here now changes everything for us and the hope that we have. And I pray this season that we would live out our hope that it would be in such a way that it gives hope to others, that your faithfulness to us is spilled out in our character and others see that same faithfulness and they're drawn to you that we might worship you too. We pray it all because of Jesus and in his name. And in his name, amen.